Welcome to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. My name is Clint, and I will be your host as we record live from our beautiful Springfield, Tennessee location inside our podcast studio. Robertson Cheatham is a member-owned farm supply cooperative. You can learn more about us on our website, yourfarmerscoop.com, in addition to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Welcome back to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co-op. You know, when country music lovers talk about the greatest groups in the genre, Shenandoah is always at the forefront of any discussion. Shenandoah became well-known for delivering such hits as Two Dozen Roses, Church on Cumberland Road, and Next to You, Next to Me, as well as such as achingly beautiful classics as I Want to Be Loved Like That and the Grammy-winning Somewhere in the Vicinity of the Heart duet with Allison Krauss. Shenandoah has recorded 10 studio albums, three certified gold, and placed 26 singles on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart. At the center of this success is lead vocalist Marty Rayburn, who happens to be our guest today. So we are very thankful to get the opportunity to talk to him. Hello, Marty. Hey, Clint. It's good to be with you, buddy. Man, it's good to see you again. It's been, golly, four or five years since we've seen each other last, and you haven't aged today. You look fantastic. Man, I, I don't know about that. I, you know, I, I've been rode hard and put up with. Well, I, can, I, I can't tell it. You got a fantastic head of hair. I hope when 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 I get to be your age, now, brother, I, you you got you, you. What are you talking about? You got a hair farm going on. I there. don't know, man. Yours is just you. Just you look fantastic. It, well, it, it takes me too long to groom it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. So, Marty, again, I, thanks for the opportunity for coming on here. Um, you know, I want to learn more about you and the band and how all this came together for you. But if it's all the same to you, I'd like to start with a young Marty. Uh-huh. Growing up in, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Greenville, Alabama. No, you know, actually, uh, uh, Wikipedia's got Greenville, Alabama, and I've tried to get them to change that. Uh, uh, you know, all my folks were, you know, were from Greenville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I guess during the conversation that we were having with somebody that was putting all that together, I guess they got that I was from Greenville. But I actually was born in Sanford, Florida. Now, I'm a Floridian. I'm no cracker. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I, I grew up there. Uh, man, my daddy was a, a block mason and uh, had a masonry business. And, and, of course, me and my brothers, as time went on, by the time I was 14 years old, I, I literally went to work with him full time in the summers. And, and that's how I'd buy my school clothes. Mm. And, uh, of course, my brother was working with him in the summers and stuff like that. Of course, we'd go to school, and then in the summers, you know, or, or the weekends when he needed us, mm-hmm. you know, we'd work with him and stuff. But, uh, like I say, he was a, also a fiddle player, and, uh, you know, he he taught uh, my brother Rick how to play the guitar. And he taught him, you know, the, the basic G, C, and D on the guitar. And, and that. The reason why he did that, Clint, was because he wanted somebody second him on the fiddle so he could sit around the house and play fiddle and have somebody second him on the guitar, you know. And, of course, but, you know, he didn't really need to do that because my dad, where we lived, my dad literally was the only fiddle player for for miles and miles and miles. So uh, if there was a bluegrass band or if there was a country band, you know, because he he fiddled the stuff like Ray Price played Mm -hmm. and, and uh, would do a lot of that single string stuff, and then then a lot of the Georgia Bowen, and then a lot of the what they call it for for the fiddle players that'll listen double stops and all this other kind of stuff. 
So therefore, you know, he, he, he would have access to a whole lot of different bands to play with. But anyway, he taught my brother how to play. And then, you know, of course, you know, I, I guess I've been singing ever since I can remember. And, uh, I, I was in a third grade talent show and, uh, I just got up there and sang. I, I didn't have a guitar and he didn't come and help me. I, I just, I just went up there and sang and I sang the, I sang the, uh, the Johnny Horton classic, the battle of new Orleans, man. I even put the hup two, three, fours in there. And, uh, <laughs> Anyway, so like I said, I, I'd always sang, and then then all of a sudden I thought, well, man, if I'm going to do this, I I need you know learn how to play the guitar too. So then he started teaching me, you know, the guitar, and then you know, Daddy was teach as my brother had learned, Daddy would teach him F and and C and what what chords went with C and this kind of stuff, and and so then I started picking that up from him as well too, and and when when he was when Daddy was showing him, I I was watching as well, so. Uh, uh, you know, Daddy taught us both how to, you know, play, and and uh, and then you know, then then I would sing, and and Daddy'd play, and Ricky'd play the guitar, and and uh, and then my younger brother Tim came along, and and uh, and then Dad started teaching us harmony parts. So he said, Marty, you, you, son, you just you, you sing the lead, you, you you know all the songs, so you sing that, and then he taught my brother Rick, my older brother, the harmony part. And of course, uh, uh, before my brother's voice changed, he, he, he could sing higher than Hitler's gas bill. I mean, he, he could sing pretty high, and that that may be offensive. I take that back, but uh, he could sing pretty high. And uh, anyway, so uh, or before he went through puberty, he he could sing pretty high. And so therefore, Daddy taught him the tenor over the uh, the you know the tenor over the tenor. And then once we got older. And our voices started changing. Then, then Tim would sing the tenor, and then Rick went to the baritone. And and man, we did that for years and years and years and years. And and uh, uh, of course, by this time, Rick was playing guitar. I was playing acoustic. And then Rick started picking out stuff on the guitar. And then my brother Tim played the upright bass. And then uh, we had an old boy out of uh, out of Lakeland, Florida, that played the five string banjo with us. And we we actually had us a little bluegrass band. And Lord, we did that. Uh, we did that throughout all the the southeastern part of the United States. We'd go to to the Carolinas. We'd go to Georgia and Alabama. So this started when you were we're talking about third grade. You're talking about that talent show, and yeah. then this progressed all the way to your your teenage years. Uh-huh. And your your dad was musically inclined, but who who taught him all this? Was your granddaddy the same way, or did, was he self taught, or how did that come about? Well, you know, he uh, you know where they grew up. You know, uh, you remember back years ago, uh, other than getting up a game of baseball or something like that, fellas, you know, after they get done working the field, they're all cotton pickers, you know, mm-hmm. there in Alabama. And uh, they, uh, you know, the only thing that they, they did, you know, they, they would follow something else, their choice of love, and and, and it was music. And uh, uh, had a had an older uncle uh, that, that would play the mandolin and, and would sing, and, and then, you know, my dad would sing tenor, and that's how he taught my brothers, that's how he knew how to, Teach my brothers what they what their part was, and uh, and then uh, they had a couple other uh, younger brothers, which were my uncles, and then they played as well too. And then, then of course, people just you know around where they lived played, and for you know what they you know they were on the local radio station, and you know they they were the they were the talent for the local radio station there in Greenville, and 
And then they went from there to different radio stations and played. And, and uh, But now, back during that time, they were in the logging business. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they snaked logs and everything like that. So uh, uh, they do that. And then, then when it got time for them to uh, to go to the radio uh, station to do their show, they, they'd go do their show. And then they, they, they'd run on back. Like, say, if they had a, a noontime show, they, they'd run and go do their noontime show, and then they'd come back, and they'd go in their field clothes and everything like that, and then they'd, then they'd jump back in the in the woods and, and, you know, cut timber and all that other kind of stuff, and then, you know, going home for the evening. But but it, uh, it, uh, it, 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 was, it was a choice life and, and something that they, that they truly, truly enjoyed being able to do. And, and uh, my daddy's love for it was, was I, I think, was the most valued thing that I'd got from him. You know, uh, my daddy didn't just love people. He loved music, and he loved playing music for people because he loved to see the joy that they'd get from him playing. And, man, it it, it wouldn't be no time. Man, it, he'd get us up out of bed at night, you know, where, he, <laughs> where he'd been off drinking somewhere and some buddies of his, you know, and he'd, he'd get to talking about his kids and how his kids could sing and, well, go get them kids, and, and before you know it, I mean, he, he, you know, we off at somebody's house, and, you know, daddy, dad, you know, daddy's playing fiddle, and we sing. Man, he wasn't lying; them boys can sing, you know, and this kind of stuff. So we, so we, we, we certainly, we did a lot of that. But you know, it, it was all poor folks' pleasure, you know. What I mean, and, and we really enjoyed it. You know, we growing up, we didn't have nothing either, and uh, uh, but we did have family. We loved one another, and and. Uh, uh, the opportunities that we that, that we got to do like that are are, are memorable, and uh, I, I, I'll I'll never forget I'll never forget my raising uh, for nothing because I, I mean there they were really some some truly wonderful days. Well, I I picture a man's man that can snake logs out of the woods and then head to the radio station and record some songs on the local radio. That's pretty impressive. I've never, I've never heard of anything like that. Well, before. especially the fiddle player, you know, because right. man, you know, playing the neck of a fiddle, you know, and it, you know, that did no fretted thing, and and uh, and and I'll say this too, and I, I mean, I, I'm not just saying. My, my dad was a good fiddle player, and uh, the one of the things that that uh, uh, that he he'd beat into boys, it's got it's got to be in time. You got to play in time, and, and and I mean, timing is everything, and. Uh, you know, man, you 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 gotta you gotta have a a wit about you to to be able to sing in time. You gotta have a wit about you to play in time, and uh, uh, he man, he was all about that timing. And uh, especially if you especially if you were following him on the fiddle and you wasn't keeping time right. Hey, 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 come on, come on now, step that up. You know, so he. He'd make sure that timing was right. And so it sounded like he was a coach from you for an early age. He right? was, and you know, to tell you the truth, he was a loving coach because he, he man, he he was a, he was an admirer, he was an encourager, and uh, and and you know, of course, he you know, like I said, you know, we were a very very close family, you know, and and uh, of course, he was proud of of us being able to take, uh, uh, really, and I don't know whether he's seen us doing it or not, but. He, he seen us take something that he loved a great deal, and 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 try to build on it, and uh, and we did, and and then uh, and then by the time I I turned uh, eighteen nineteen years old, after we'd kind of run all over the southeastern part of the United States playing bluegrass, uh, man, Ricky Skaggs had went to town, and I'm talking about Nashville, 
And then Keith Whitley had, had had went to town. Vince Gill had went to town. And, man, we knocked around with all those old boys, you know, when we were playing bluegrass festivals, you know, and I, I knew all those guys. And I thought, well, you know, man, if they can, you know, if they can do it, you know, so I left Florida in 84. And, uh, and uh, of course, I've been back to visit, but I, you know, uh, I told my mom and daddy, and, of course, being able uh, at 14 you know, to, to start learning the craft of, uh, of being a block and bricklayer. Uh, you know, my dad and mom wasn't worried about me ever getting anywhere and, and, and not being able to support myself. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew I'd work, you know, if I, if I ever got hungry or needed to pay rent or whatever. You know, they knew I you know I had a trade I could fall back on. So when I told them I was leaving for Nashville, I mean, they, they didn't get all tore up. But, Son, you'll go up there and starve to death. You know, they, they knew better than that. But you had a blue collar trade that you could you could fall back on in Absolutely. case you had to use. It. Yes, sir. Because Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what your dad's trade was. Right? Yeah, he'd a block and bricklayer. Yeah. Okay. That was his trade, and and uh, they had left Greenville. They left Greenville in nineteen fifty fifty eight, and uh, and uh, I was born in in fifty nine in Florida, and then uh, had a had another another brother and another sister that was born in Florida as well too. So. Uh, because Sanford, Florida, I looked. I like. I like geography. I like looking at maps. I. I don't know where that was. So I looked it up. That's just north of Orlando. Yeah, and, and and just 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 southwest of, of Daytona. They, they they call that nowadays. Uh, they call it the I four corridor because mm-hmm. Interstate four runs you know between Daytona and, and Orlando down through there, and that's what they call the I four corridor. So. Uh, yeah, we you know we worked down there and done work all over the place. You know my my dad was was very respected. You know even in the masonry business. You know he my dad took everything that he did very seriously, and uh, he 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 worked hard to you know to do it right. You know, uh, a good friend of mine, his dad is a brick mason. That's what he does for Ellen's own company. And yeah, you talk about some backbreaking hard labor. Yeah, man. It's character building, you know? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm telling you what's about. Hey, I'll never forget the first mortar mixer we got. Because before then, me and my uncle, Junior, uh, the one I was telling you about earlier that played Madeline, mm-hmm. he had moved to Florida. And uh, he worked with my dad. And, uh, Lord, we'd be out there trying to chop mud in a box, mud box <laughs> with a hoe. You know, he, he'd be going one way on one side of the box, and I'd be pulling it back the other way, mixing up mud. And, man, when we got that first mortar mixer, so we man, we kept that thing. So that, that that thing looked brand new every day. We got done with it. So we kept that thing washed and old and greased. And you were in high cotton. So I that ain't thing. lying. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in Sanford, Florida, in the seventies, your teenage years, besides playing music, what what was that to do for fun when you were a young man? Well, you know, tell you the truth, that 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 really was it. I mean, man, we man, we played music, and uh, and man, I I, I was. I, I I literally was 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 literally just studied on on playing music and 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 wanting to take it further, you know, than than uh, than even what my brothers did, and and that's the reason why I left in '84. You know, we we felt like you know we'd pretty much gone as far as we could go. We'd won the uh, the Florida State Band Championship five years in a row playing bluegrass music and. And of course, you know, look, we love playing music, but you know, I said, fellas, you know that, that you know, we could do some, but man, we need to, we need to record us some stuff that's got a country flavor to it, and let's let's bring it to Nashville and see. Nah, I'm I'm not interested in that, but we did it anyway, and uh, and I brought it to Irv Woolsey, which at that time, 
was over at MCA. And uh, he had just signed some un- unknown fellow by the name of George Strait, and uh, <laughs> nobody will ever hear him. But anyway, uh, uh, there just right before he left MCA, uh, uh, they had they had uh, they had just signed Lee Greenwood as well, and Lee Greenwood. I mean, he was burning the charts up, but it turns me inside out. And and that was during the time that I, I'd met with Irv, and and Irv told me then he said, "Look, he said, uh, uh, now where did where did you say you lived?" I said, I, "I live in Florida." He said, "Son, I I don't know that I'd go back home." And I said, uh, well, "What do you mean?" He said. Uh, he said, I, I think you got enough potential. You know, you, you probably need to stay in town for a little while. Well, uh, I just went up there on a weekend. A, a buddy of mine kept telling me, said, Marty, look, I'm telling you, if you if you'll go to Nashville, uh, we'll go in my car. I'll get us a hotel room. I'll buy your food. If you'll go up there and you'll, you, you'll bring that tape. Because a, a buddy of ours by the name of Ken Kittinger that used to make the permaplacking, he would make the awards for people that, you know, that, that they would get a number one record or if they want a plaque that they'd want to put on their wall, the records and all that stuff. Uh, Ken knew all those guys, you know, because he made awards for them. You know, when one of their artists would, you know, get an achievement, you know, he he was the one that made the awards. And uh, anyway, so uh, Larry Hudson was the guy's name. And Larry said, uh, Ken said, if I, if I was to bring Marty up there, Said, would you would you carry him up there and and uh, get him in a meeting with somebody? And Ken said, Yeah. Who, who, who would you want him to go? Who would you want him to go see? He said, Man, I don't care who you'd get him to go see, but I think somebody needs to listen to it. And uh, next thing you know, uh, Ken called and said, Look, I I got an opportunity. You know, he can sit down with Irv Woolsey. You know, Irv Woolsey's fixing to leave MCA, but he ain't left yet. So. Uh, uh, said, man, I got him pumped to to want to hear him, and and if if he wants to to come up, so then Larry said, look, if if you'll go, <clears throat> if you'll go and let that let, let that old boy hear you, I, I you you won't spend a dime on none of it. I, I'll carry you up there and I'll bring you back to the house. So when Irv told me that, I told him, I said, Irv, I I can't stay. You know, I've got a job in Florida, working with my dad, and I I can't just you know I can't just quit. He said, well. He said, I'm sure your dad would probably, you know, think that, you know, if this was a dream you had, he'd, he'd probably want you to, you know, try to see it through. And I said, well, he would. He said, well, then go on back to the house and uh, let your dad know that uh, what I thought and what my opinion of it was. And then you see what you want to do about it. But he said, son, I, if it was me, I, w- I wouldn't leave town. But I, you know, I had to, you know, I, you know, I, I had to go back and, you know, I had to, had to make things right and give my daddy an opportunity to find somebody else to take my place. And, and then, uh, uh, of course I'd rode with, with Larry Hudson and Larry wasn't going to stay up there and, and I wasn't going to be up there without any way of getting around. So, so I went on back to Florida and I did and I, I left, I left in September of 84. Did you know what your talent level was when they, when these people were saying this to you, were you, you're a modest guy, but were you aware of it? Like you had something special that possibly could go a long way? 
Well, uh, you know, uh, you, you can hear that from a lot of lot of people that that that, uh, that, that are friends and, and that, that that you've endeared their friendship for years and years, and so therefore, I, I mean, you you know, you take it, man. You, man, you need to move to Nashville. That's what, man. And, and you know, Keith, man, Keith's up there right now. Ricky Skag, man, Ricky Skag, man, he took off. You know, and man, he could he can't say no better than you can. You know, and you know, and I, I keep hearing that, and keep hearing it, and keep hearing it, and keep hearing it. And then, uh, and then when Larry had got that set up with uh, Irv Woolsey through Ken Kittinger, uh, I thought, well, you know. Uh, so I, I sat down, and when I when I talked to Daddy about it, my, my Daddy, he, he uh, man, I, I tell you, I loved my Daddy, and he said, "Son," he said, "I'm gonna tell you something." He said, "Don't don't live to be forty years old, wishing that you you had done this." And regretted that you didn't give it a try. He said, "Son, you you can go up there and give it a try, and if it didn't work, you can always come back. You know, you've always got a job, and you certainly always got a trade. And uh, but, son, I can tell you something: Nashville, Tennessee is not in Sanford, Florida. And the only way in the world that you can do it is is to go up there where where it's going on, and that's what I do. And with those blessings, I I left Florida, and I that's where I went. So when you were driving back from Nashville the first time to Florida to speak with your your family about this and your dad, what was that like? Were you, were you excited, but yet kind of you know? No, no, no. I was excited because I I knew I was I knew I was coming back. I I knew I was going to come back. Did I knew you, it would. Did you have a pretty good feeling your dad would give you that blessing, or were you worried? Yeah, about I how did. It? I did. I you know because of because of our relationship. You know, I I I, I knew good and well. You know, like any parent would. You know, they 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 would want their children to succeed and and to, and and to get to where they want to go and and to be able to do the things that you know that they have a dream for and everything like that. So I. Uh, I, I didn't think that it was going to be one of those kind of situations where my dad would say, "No, no, not son, you, you, you're not doing that." You know, I know, you know, we'll all go up there together, but you're not going by yourself or nothing. I didn't worry about any of that. And it's like I'm saying, you know, we—I'll never get uh, about a week before I left. Me and Mama and Daddy was sitting there at the breakfast table, and and uh, Mama said, "Son, I—I'm not worried about you because I know you'll work." But you got to promise, Mama, if you ever get to the point where you know where this isn't working, that 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 you that you'll get you a job. And Daddy said, "You ain't got to worry about that. That boy will get him a job." And uh, and said, I, "I tell you, that son, that that that's one of the reasons why I feel like it would be okay and I could live with it if you moved off from him." And so I, you know, I had my family's blessings, you know, all the way through it. Well, you know, Marty, it's 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 interesting thinking about it as you're describing it to me where, you know, you've got the talent for it, obviously, where you were going to make it happen. But what if, on the other hand, what if your parents wouldn't have been encouraging in that way? You think it would have still happened for you or just, you know, part of your success is the fact that you had an encouraging mother and father to nudge you in that direction? Well, you know, I, I know that they – I know that, that man, they, they was no bigger cheerleaders – that me and my brothers had other than our mom and daddy. I mean, they, you know, I mean, both of them, you know, and mama and I had two sisters and they couldn't play the radio without getting static, but they, they liked what we did, you know, and, uh, they, they were, they were very much encouraging and, and they would, you know, they would say, look, you know, if you, you know, if, if that's what you think you need to do, you know, you, you need to do it, Marty, you, you need to go up there and, 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 and see if this will work for you, you know? Man, we believe in you, and 
so from that point on, I mean, I I, I did, and and uh, uh, I, when when I left, I I I told mom and daddy, I said, look, I. I, now, now I'm not coming back till I make it. And Mama said, "Now don't say that. You know you're gonna need to visit. You know on the holidays." And I said, "Well, Mama, I I don't know whether I'll, you know, have the money to do that or whatever." And she said, "Well, look, we'll send you the money, but now you you need to you need to keep that in mind. Now you you don't need to just go up there and, and just be gone. And we you know, other than a phone call, we don't ever see you." And I said, "Well." But I said I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go up there. But I said I, I gotta go up there and I gotta give it all I got. And I you know I gotta you know I, that's what I gotta stay focused on. And uh, of course they both understood that. And the next thing you know, uh, uh, I was up there and and uh, had worked with a with a band uh, that literally had had just really kind of uh, it, it, it it literally seemed like the providence of God was was in it. Um, Donnie Allen that works with us today, uh, and Brian Prout that played drums with Diamond Rio forever, uh, was in a band, and they were from Florida. and And I knew Donnie; he was a banjo player and a guitar player. Anyway, they had a little old country band in uh, 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 Hollywood, North Lauderdale, and and that kind of stuff around the Miami area. And then they started, you know, playing a club gig, you know, doing country music. But before then, you know, Donnie was a banjo player, and, and man, we'd see, you know, Heartbreak Mountain at these bluegrass festivals, and so we forged a, a friendship, you know, from there. So uh, early in August, uh, Donnie called me and said, "Look, said uh, uh, we got a guy that's singing lead that he's he's wanting to move back to Florida, and uh, man, would you think about?" Would you think about moving up here? And of course, he he didn't know that I that I was planning on moving up there anyway. He said, "Would you think about moving up here? You know, and, and you know, you you know, we're playing at the Western Room on Printer's Alley, and uh, man, we working four four nights a week, and uh, you know, the pay's three hundred a week, and you know, uh, the bass player uh, where he lives, you can live with him, and y'all can split the rent, and therefore now now you got a place to live, and you can come up here and and you know." You can help us out, and uh, uh, I think you told me at one time you you were wanting to move up here, and if that's something you still want to do, then uh, man, this would be a good time because it would really help us. So I did, and and when I moved up there, I mean, I I had a built-in job when I got there, so that was a good thing. And and while I was there, playing at the Western Room, uh, a fellow by the name of Bud McGuire came in. He was songwriter. Uh, had wrote Red River for for Alabama and and several other records that he had Shine 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 for Freddie Raven and and some other things and anyway he wrote for Larry Butler music and uh, which Larry Butler produced Kenny Rogers and Dottie West and Crystal Gale and when he was over at United Artists and and uh, Larry had started a publishing company and and uh, me and Bud he said man do you you write and I said yeah I I do but I said I I don't I don't write as good as Nashville people because I hadn't been around them. He said, "Man, he said, look, he said, uh, you come spend some time with me, and we'll uh, we'll start writing together, and I'll, I'll teach you what I know." And I thought, "Man, this man, this it's just a gift." This is working out. Fantastic. Man, it, 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 it is ain't bad. Well, I guess my question is, with Irv, that was his the gentleman's name, correct? At MCA, yeah. So. 
when when he suggested, hey, you need to move up here and get started, was he helping you out in the meantime, or were you pretty much on your own? No, by this, by this time he he had, he had left MCA because you know, see, he had started managing George Strait, and and's been George's manager ever since, and so therefore he left MCA because of if he stayed, that would have been a conflict of interest. So so he had left MCA, and uh, anyway, uh, uh, as far as staying in touch you know he he never said stay in touch or anything like that but but now you know i i, I had the opportunity of moving in with people like larry butler that, that at one time that, that wasn't just over an a and r department you know larry used to be the president at uh, united artists you know where kenny rogers and crystal gale and and dotty west you know where he done records on them and and several other people as well too and uh uh you know, just being able to uh, to be around uh, a bunch of influential people, man. In his stall, he had Dean Dillon. Dean Dillon was one of his writers. Mickey Newberry, uh, uh, John Scott uh, 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 was over there in his in his stable. That uh, man, a couple other uh, Powell Rakes was 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 one of his writers, and and so therefore, I, I literally was in the thick of it, and then. Uh, uh, I'd done that, and uh, uh, then then the winter time came in uh, in '84, and uh, when it did, uh, it brought in a an ice storm, and 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 therefore it pretty much shut downtown Nashville down. You know, the, the Nashville then isn't the Nashville that it is mm-hmm. today, and uh, so therefore they started prorating our pay, and. It took us just as much to get to work, but you know we, we'd only get to, instead of four sets a night, we, we'd only get to do two. So our money from three hundred was cut to one hundred and fifty a week, and that started getting pretty lean. So then Bud talked to Larry Butler and, and Juan Contreras and, and said, you know, look, this old boy's coming around, and, and as a writer, uh, you know, I sure would hate for us to to leave him. Man, he's singing our demos and. And this kind of stuff, and you know, because Bud kept encouraging, man, look, so and so's got a demo. Let them give you a work tape, and you learn that and sing the demo for them. And before you know it, I started singing other people, you know, in the in the publishing houses demos. And Bud said, man, look, this will help you in the studio when 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 you when you ever get you a deal, and you'll get one. But when you do this, this will help you to be able to. You know, to pull off what you need to pull off in the studio, know how to sing, be comfortable with it, and this kind of stuff. So, it literally was kind of like training on the job, and and they they'd give me twenty bucks every demo I'd sing, and they'd give me twenty bucks for it. And uh, so, therefore, I man, I the rap say, hey man, if you if you got a demo you want me to sing, I'll I'll sing it for you. You know, because I would learn it, and and I'd do it the way they wanted me to. You know, and uh, anyway, so. Uh, that turned into what it was, and then all of a sudden, Heartbreak Mountain. Then, then, then they wanted to make a band change or a talent change there in the Western Room. So, so from that point on, uh, we really didn't have no work. So then we started. You know, we we, we uh, worked in a club over in North Carolina a couple times. Went to Evansville, Indiana. Worked at a place called Derringers, and and some other places. You know, we worked, and and uh, while in doing so. Uh, Mike McGuire, which was Bud McGuire's brother, I got to knowing him through mine and Bud's writing together. And occasionally when Mike would leave Muscle Shoals, Alabama, to come to Nashville uh, on a couple of occasions, you know, we'd all three write together. And then 
on several occasions, me and Mike would write. So therefore, me and Mike had already forged a, a friendship and a relationship, you know, as writers. Uh, we'd never played together, but, you know, we, we had wrote together and we got to know each other pretty good. So anyway, so uh, uh, we were in Evansville, Indiana, and uh, 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 Bud got up with me because he, he knew where I was at. And so anyway, so... Uh, when I called to find out how everything was, he said, man, I'm glad you called. I've been trying to get up with you. He said, man, Mike's trying to get a hold of you. I said, uh, okay. He said, man, they they got a bass player and uh, and Sonny Swift, their lead vocalist, they're leaving going to another club across town, and he wants to know if, you would, if you'd want to come to Muscle Shoals and uh, be the front guy. And... Uh, but you need to talk to him about that, you know, But and you need to call him. So I did, and I was on a pay phone. I said, well, yeah, yeah, well, I'll call him. And, of course, being in Indiana, I had to call collect, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I called him, and and, uh, and he told me the scoop on everything, and he said, man, when, when can you start? I said, well, I mean, we're working a week out here, you know, in this club, and I, I can't just leave these fellas high and dry. You know, they don't have anybody either. I said, well, look, uh, see what you can't do about, uh, you know, letting them fellas know something today and start your two weeks or whatever you, you need to, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. But, I mean, in two weeks, we're going to have somebody else if you don't take the job. So, anyway, so I talked to the guys, uh, and, uh, you know, we were playing country as well, too. We were doing all top 40 and, and that type stuff. And, and uh, uh, I just told them, I said, look, fellas, I got an opportunity to – to get another job and and uh, down in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and fellas, the money's steady and and you know and I I gotta you know I gotta I gotta do that I gotta make a living. Well, how long had you been working with them until that point? About nine months. Okay. Yeah, about nine months. And uh, anyway, so uh, then then I left, and in fact, it, it was it was almost to the day. A year later, when I left Florida on the fifteenth of September, I'd moved to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And I took the house gig there as the front man, uh, doing the lead work and and then uh, uh, kind of you know announcing and this kind of stuff in the club called the MGM, and we were just known as the MGM band. That's that's what we were known. We were just known as the the, the MGM band. And uh, anyway, so we we did that, and and uh, then the next thing you know. Uh, I was surrounded uh, because of Fame Recording Studio, where, where Jim Seals, a guitar player, uh, was playing on sessions. Ralphie Zell, the bass player, was playing on sessions. And Mike and Jim were writers for, for Rick Hall at Fame. And then I then I got into the throes of, of writers like T- Tommy Brassfield and, and Walt Aldridge and, and Robert Byrne, which Robert Byrne was coming off of, at that time, was coming off four or five number one records with Earl Thomas Conley and 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 Walt Aldridge and 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 uh, Tommy Brassfield had had just you know picked up the No Getting Over Me with Ronnie Millsap song of the year. So I mean that, that they were songwriting royalty in Muscle Shoals as well too. So therefore, they, there was a lot of influence there that uh, that that I I had the opportunity of picking up on too. And plus, you know the studios and stuff. And then you know people say, man, that you know that, you, you do demos, and I yeah. Well, man, that, they, at that time, there was about four or five different working studios. So, man, writers would say, man, can you do my demos? So, man, I I was doing demos in the day uh, uh, for these other writers. And then, then in the evenings, four nights a week, uh, from Thursday to Saturday, uh, you know, we were playing the club. 
And then before you know it, it, you know, words started getting around about the band, you know, down at MGM. And I mean, that place was packed, you know, uh, Wednesday through Saturday. And I mean, and then on Saturday night, you, you couldn't get in there. And so anyway, so, uh, Mike, uh, was talking to, to Robert Byrne about it, uh, one day in the studio and, and, uh, Robert said, "Man, I, I, man, I've been hearing some good, good stuff about y'all." And Mike said, "Man, you need to come." And I said, "Man, we, we, we do several of y'all songs." And Robert said, "Really?" And said, "Yeah, man. Once in a blue moon." Said, "Man, we, we do that." And several other them Earl Thomas Conley records you got. And the next thing you know, uh, on a Thursday night, which was our slowest night, uh, here come Tommy Brassfield and Robert Byrne. They got them a table and they sat, you know, right in front of the band. <laughs> and of course only as you know you, you would gig in one another they'd, they'd yell out one of their tunes you know and we'd, we'd ignore them <laughs> man we come down here to listen to one of our tunes now they'd play one of our tunes you know and, they, and we'd ignore them you know till, till later on in the evening you know and the reason why it was you know we, we wanted them to kind of stick around mm. you know so uh, uh, on, on the second to the last break of the evening Robert said look said uh you fellas come on over. You come up to the bandstand. Said you fellas, when, when you take a break, you, you fellas come on over to the to the table. Me and Tommy's at. We want to talk to you about something. And little did we know at the time that they had a production deal, uh, Fame Recording Studio did uh, with CBS Records, and uh, and said, look, man, we traveled all over. Man, we've been to. Kansas, we we we've been to Minnesota, we we've been to Iowa, we we've been to Florida, we've been everywhere. And here y'all are, y'all ain't two miles down the road. Would you fellas be interested in coming in the studio and letting us cut some sides on you? And a couple of the guys in the band said, No, I, I'm not interested in that. I said, Man, I am. I left Florida to do that. Mm. I said, I'm in. And uh said, Well, we you know, we, we need to all do it together. And uh I said, Well, I'm telling you, I'm in. Uh, whether these fellas want to want to be a part of it or not, I I'm in and I I'll do it. Did that create a conflict with you and the? No, it, it didn't. In fact, before it was all over, everybody agreed to do it. Yeah, and the reason why it was is because you know we're working a club at home. We're sleeping in our own beds four nights a week, well all week long. But four nights a week when we're working, I mean, you know, we go home. You know, which we all lived around the club that we played. So therefore, you know, uh, Jim that had 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 a, had a boy at that time, you know, he he wasn't away from his wife and his boy. There was Ralph that had a girl, and his wife, and he he wasn't away from home. Sure. So therefore, you know, and me and Mike, me and Mike were single. So we, you know, they they man, that, me and Mike was gung ho for it. And uh, anyway, so we uh, we decided, you know, as a band, we'd do it, and we all met out at Robert Burns' house, and and Robert started telling us. You know what we, you know what we could expect and and what we could do and and uh, you know look we'll, we'll find you some songs y'all you know I know y'all want to write and we'll listen to them we'll listen to your tunes but uh, we also know that we got to have some some great songs to do this and of course man you're sitting in a stall with with literally some of the best that country music had to offer at that time some of the biggest artists in country music were cutting their material. And uh, so we we certainly was not opposed to that, and uh, anyway, so we we did, and, and we went in the studio, and of course that they threw us a bone and let us, you know, cut you know uh, uh, one or two things that we did, and, and but the stuff that they wanted to get to you know to the record label and 
and and to possibly have as a single. You know, it was outside tunes or either tunes they had written, and uh, which which worked pretty good. You know, in fact, our first number 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 ten. Our first top ten record was a tune that Will Robbins and Robert Byrne had wrote. It's called "She Doesn't Cry Anymore," and then we followed it up with an outside tune called uh, "Mama Knows," and then we came with uh, with a tune that uh, that uh, 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 Jay Booker had wrote, "Sunday in the South," and then which was the number one record, and then then we came with two dozen roses. Uh, and that happened to be our third number one record, and, and and by this time, you know, things were kind of kind of on its way. And at that point, had it, had it dawned on you, said, you know, I, you told your mom, you said, I'm not making, I'm not coming back till I make it. Yeah. Had it entered in your mind, I, I think I'm, I've either made it or I'm right there about to make it. Yeah, it, it was more. I I kind of feel like we're, we're just about to make it. I I didn't think we'd made it yet. We were still riding around in the van and a trailer. Going to dates, and we still had a we had still had a club gig, so we we'd have to tell our boss, look, the the label wants us to go and do a radio show, so we we can't be here this weekend, you know. He said, well, that's you know, and there was enough pickers around Muscle Shoals. He you know he could throw a band in there, uh, some some players in there, and uh, we'd load up, you know, we get done on on uh, Wednesday night because you know we wouldn't have to be you know wherever we were going. You know, till, till most of the time, most of the shows that we did were on Saturdays. So on Friday nights, we'd pack up everything we had in that trailer. And, man, we'd haul buggy. And when we first started, we'd have to just put it, put, put what we had in our cars. We didn't we didn't have a unit. We didn't have a, a van and a trailer. We, we eventually went on to do that once we started getting more shows and, and stuff like that. So uh, we done a done a showcase for CBS. And, man, they invited all all the managers in town and and uh, and everybody and and wanted to see who you know would want to take a shot at us and everything like that and Stan Bird spoke up and said man I I'd like to manage him and then uh, Earl Thomas Conley's brother Fred said man it you know in fact me and Stan Bird would like to co-manage him and which was fantastic because uh, Stan Bird used to work the records he 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 owned a business called uh, 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 chart attack and uh, those uh, independent uh, uh, promoters like he was was what labels would get help from like they'd say well look we've got our staff but we really want to put on the dog on this we want a hit out of this record and we're going to hire you to work this record up to the 15s and then, then if we need some help further than that you know if you can push it you know into the 10s you know, then, then you know, we'll, we'll pay you this amount. And so, therefore, uh, would Stan being a part of it and, and wanting to, of course, you know, managing and wanting to see us succeed, we had his full attention. You know, I mean, he, he was, you know, he, he, was, he was on our side. And so, therefore, you know, it wasn't anything that we had to pay for, you know, to, 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 to make records work. And then you had CBS's promotion staff working records as well, too. And then Stan, you know, kind of coming in there and, and picking up the pieces that, you know, that may have got dropped and trying to get these folks, these radio people. And he taught us how to work radio, you know, what you say to people at radio. And, and he taught me years ago how to take a five-by-seven card. And when you talk to the music director or program director, you take that five-by-seven card and you, and you write down the highlights of everything you talked about. 
so that in three, three or four, four weeks from now or six, six weeks from now or a couple of months from now, you pull that card out when you're talking to this guy. And go, hey, man, did you ever get Bubby that bicycle you was talking about getting? Yeah, man, how would you remember that? Well, he didn't know that I'd wrote it down because that's what Stan Bird told me to do. And he goes, man, <laughs> man, these guys are personable. And it, and it wasn't cheating. It was just, you know. Relationship building. But, well, another thing, too, Stan said, look, you're going to talk to a lot of people. And there's a lot of things that, that, that you're going to hear. So a lot of things that you hear, you write that down. So that when you talk to them again, they'll know that you remembered that. And then once once you would read it, you know, you, you remembered the conversation you had with them. So, you know, it wasn't a cheating thing. It wasn't anything other than, you know, you, you allowed them to know that, you know, man, man this, this old boy asked about my boy's bike, you know, about when I was talking to him about getting a bicycle for him or, you know, or whatever. You know, mean, that means a lot to people. It does. And, and being very personable to people, you know, is a, is a very, very wonderful thing. It's a wonderful trait to have, especially in this business, you know, and being able to remember people's, people's names. That, that means a great deal to them as well, too, you know. It's one thing to have the talent, which you have, but you also have to learn the business side of it. And yeah, how, that's right. How all that works. And I'm sure that was a, a learned experience in it itself. It was. It was. But, you know, uh, I, I think the uh, uh, the love for people, and uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to trying to be appreciative, you know, of, of of what they were doing for you. Now, look, uh, you had to get them the tune, and the tune had to be what it what it had to be. That they wasn't going to give you anything, but it had to be good enough that that you know, if they played it, you know, people would say, "Man, well, what are you playing that record for? You know, this record ain't no good." It it had to be good enough that they would mm. play it. But on top of that, when they found a kindred spirit in you, then, you know, we'd put out a record. You know, man, it wasn't nothing for us to have 60 or 70 ads the first week that we put a record out. Now, of course, now the the charts have changed immensely since then. But, man, you come out of the box with 50, 50 plus the first week you put it out. And you destined, and and that's... One of, the, one of the biggest reasons why we had five number one records in a row is because of those relationships mm. that we had made. And another thing, too, we traveled in a van and a trailer. It was easier to get out of a parking lot than it was a tour bus. And therefore, we'd go to these little mom-and-pop radio shows and these radio stations. And, and uh, man, we'd pull up out there in the parking lot, and we'd go and see these fellas. And before it's all over with, Man, this fella, he 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 took a job in 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 Fort Worth. Now he's he's a program. He's a music director at KSCS, one of the big powerhouses in the nation. And before you know it, you you, you go to KGO and in, in, uh, in Denver, and and you got buddies there and this kind of stuff. And man, you walk in there and man, they know who you are. You see them at country radio seminar and and all this other kind of stuff. And I mean, we literally forged relationships. And and that's that's what a lot of people. Uh, and I just being honest, that's what a lot of the young acts nowadays don't know anything in the world about, mm. because that's not what drives a hit record. But relationships always keeps you in the game. It always does. Now here we are, some some thirty four years later, and our third number one record, which was Two Dozen Roses. Thirty four years later, it's our fourteenth number one record with Luke Combs, mm. and. You know, uh, uh, being fortunate enough to uh, 
to have those relationships, and and a lot of those guys have gone. You know, they're 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 not at radio anymore, but a lot of a lot of those cats are. But the one thing about it is, your history. People have heard about you know how you were toward radio people and how you didn't, you know, when they called you and they asked for an interview, you didn't turn them down. You did it, you know, and and you took time with them. It wasn't one just kept wasn't a look, man. I gotta go. I got I got to go to another. You know, I ain't got time for this. I, you know, I gotta I gotta go. There was never anything anything like that, you know. And so anyway, so uh, with that as it is, and and people, you know, realize and understanding that that you that you actually wanted to be a part of their world too. It, it 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 literally made all the difference in the world. Something is so simple is just having time for people. Even yeah. when you don't, I'm sure there were times there were you probably didn't feel like getting out and going into that mom and pop. You didn't. You weren't having the best day. You know, you had something else on your mind. It, it was probably the last thing you wanted to do as far as going in there and having to talk and you know shake hands and do this. Guy. I mean, that's how I feel from time to time. Yeah. However, you know, it's not about it's not about you. It's about other, how do you make other people well, feel? Well, you know, and, and we were all working toward it as an effort, as a band. And man, before anybody was ever bringing guitars to a studio and singing your latest record, uh, you, you know, man, we'd we, we bust out a couple of guitars. And, man, we, man we, we'd sing them the hit record. And then they'd go, well, now let, let, let's hear it with the whole band. And, and then they'd play it, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, therefore, you know... And, and and again, it was just a willingness to do it. And, it. and let me give you let me give you a Bible quote that I try my best to live by. And you'll find this over in the Proverbs twenty six nineteen twenty three nineteen. I believe is what it is. I can quote it, but I I think that's where you find it. When you see a man who excels in his work, he will stand he he, he will stand before kings. And a man who will not will stand before unknown men. Mm. You know, and if you, anything in the world that you 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 devote and you give your talent to or you, you give a gift that you've got to or you give your time to and to the point that, that, that you hone your craft and the things that you have to learn while you're getting there. And if you work on that, then those are the kind of things that once you get it and it gets instilled, then it then it then it becomes you know that's that that's part of who we are, you know this you know this this is what we do, you know I like that guy because man not only does that guy play our records, man I I probably know more about his family than than, than a lot of people in country music know, you know we've talked and and then again those five by seven cards would open up. And before you know it, they'd say this and that, and and then before it was all over, it you didn't need the five by seven cards. Mm-hmm. You Your know, you, buddies at that point. Yeah, you know, and 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 you'd see them, and like again, you'd see them at the country radio seminar, you'd see them at CMA week, and all this other kind of stuff, and you'd sit down and interview with them, and 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 and, and you could you could banter back and forth, just just Clint, just like me and me and you were doing right now. And then when it's all over with, you know, somebody's going, okay, man, we got to move them along. They 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 go into another stage. We got to move them along. And it was kind of like you know where wait man we wasn't done, you know this kind of thing and, and uh, before so therefore we had friendships. You, it, it blossomed into a friendship that maybe you didn't even see coming, but you know you you can spend time with somebody so different from you, and when you get to know things about them and their family and where they came from, before you know it, you may not have anything in common, but just the fact that you can 
you know know that about each other. It's it's like you the word the phrase you used earlier, a, a kindred spirit. Yeah, you can develop that yeah, with and, people and, you've and, never suspected yeah, and, and relate. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's you know it's 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 not anything that you know because what they don't want is dead air. Right. You know, and so all of a sudden, you know, you ask them a question. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it, you just you talk. Yep. You, know, you, you just talk, and 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 before you know it. They'll start telling you stuff, and then you start telling them stuff, and you know, and, and then years later they'll go, "Man, what, what kind of fiddle was that your daddy had?" Mm-hmm. You know, well he had an old Steiner. Man, you told me that, but I couldn't remember. I tried to think what what kind of fiddle that was your daddy had. You know, and, and man, that just tickled tickled me to death. That, you know, and he, he'd even think, you know, that crossed his mind. Well, and in the way of business, especially because that's what I mean. It, at the end of the day, it's it's business what you're participating in. But if I go into a place of business and they're kind and friendly and and say something, that, and this is very simplistic, but the society we live in, people don't expect it when, uh, like my wife, for example. I think you met her several years ago, but she's always very kind to everybody she interacts with, and yeah. she, you know when she uh, when she's checking out at Aldi getting groceries, and she asked the cashier how their day has been. She said, sometimes they look at me like I have two heads. Yeah. Just from that simple question of how was, how was your day today? Yeah. And that means something is so simplistic means a lot to people, especially nowadays. And yeah. I want to do business with people like that. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the, the I guess, the younger generation that's that's present now in it. What I mean, what what do you think that is as far as not building those relationships? Well, you know, I, I don't know that it's it's necessarily that that they don't want to build those relationships. I, I think that the that the business as a whole has changed so much. You know, there's other entities that that drive. You know the the hit record. You know, mm. uh, social media has done that. You know. Uh, uh, you know, the one thing that I've noticed, if, if I'm talking to Luke Bryan or Al Dean or, or, or uh, uh, Charles Ladier, you know, it, it's a text. <laughs> Bro, right. I, I'm going to call you. I, I, you, you. You text faster than I do, and I can talk faster than this, and you're not going to have to wait 15 minutes on a reply. I'm calling. So anyway, so they, they, they can pretty much know that I, you know, you can text old Raybo, but you know he he's he's gonna wind up calling you. I don't want to hold that thing in my hand, Marty, and have to fool with my thumbs touching those buttons, and I always misspell stuff. And well, I'm, I, I'm like, you know, you, I, honest to God, I was thinking saying that I need to say this, and I I don't know if I I don't know if I spelled that right, and and I got spell check on my phone and get thinking that not no that don't look right. It's just too much to fool with. Yeah. So I, hey, look, hey, bro, what you got? You know, and, and you know, and nothing, nothing, nothing beats a, a ring of a phone. You know, and and it, hey, man, yeah, I, I just want to know: Are we good for Thursday doing it? Yeah, man, we are. It, it's all good, man. Simple. It's quick. It's done, and everybody's on the same page. Absolutely. Now, does Don does, does is Don a texter, or does he call you? Or do you, uh, call he'll, you know, uh, mine and Don's relationship is really good because, uh, uh, you know, of course, he had called me this morning about Toby Keith mm-hmm. and and wanted to get a. Uh, which he texts me first because it's real, real early in the morning. He goes, I, I don't know if you know about it, but Toby Keith, which I, I already knew it, early riser. And uh, he said, man, I, I'd like to get a quote from you. So then I, I said, man, uh, so I text him back and said, give me a few minutes and let, let me let me get some coffee. <laughs> let me get some coffee <laughs> down and, and let me, you know, see what I can do. 
So then I called him and, and I said, man, I just sent you uh, uh, the statement that I was making about Toby and, and uh, uh, tell me what you think. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you want me to rewrite it, I'll, I'll do that. Or if there's something you think I'm missing in it, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll rework it or whatever. And he goes, man, I, I, Marty, I think it's great, mm-hmm. you know. So just, yeah, just, you know, and I said, now look, <laughs> if there's anything in there misspelled or I, if I missed a punctuation somewhere, fix that for me, would you? <laughs> You know, and, and and he and he always does, and and he knows I'm going to ask him that, so he he just does it. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have that that spell man, check. Let me tell you, it's real it's publicist. real good to have somebody you know proofwrite you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know he can uh, he can he can good at punctuation and whatnot. And the guy, well, how do we keep him out of the gym? Man, I I don't know, but I tell you what's the fact. I told him I said, you know, bro, how how big do you want to get? You know. And then he'll, he'll flex that, that arm up like that and go, man, child's play. Child's play. <laughs> you know, he, uh, we, uh, Marty, you ought to just say one day, you know, Don, I'm going to fire you if you don't stay. You, you can't go to the gym for six months. If you do, I'm gonna, you're gone. Yeah. Keep him out of the gym. Then that way he'll shrink back down and, and, and humble himself again. You well, know I, I mean? I'll tell you a funny thing about that. that, that who, who Clint's talking about is Don Murray Grubbs, our publicist. And that's, that's Clint's brother. And, uh, I'll never forget after after laying them old block and brick, man. I used to have some arms, man. My brother would talk to me. He said, "Man, that dad blame." He said, "You know, daddy tell you you're stronger than dad blame bull." Watch it down there. We'd be lifting them window headers and stuff like that. Man, I'd snatch a hold of you know one of the ends of those things, and I'd, I'd get it up where it needed to be, you know. And <clears throat> they'd be a couple on the other side, and I'd get the other side, you know. And and uh, anyway, so. I'll never forget when uh, on a on a trip, uh, I'd say probably two, two and a half years later after I'd been in Nashville, uh, I was wearing I was just wearing t shirt. My brother go, my oldest brother go, man, what happened to your arms? I said, <laughs> what? He goes, you ain't got no arms no more. I said, yes, I do. He goes, no, you don't. He said, man, your arms ain't nothing like they used to be. And I said, well, I, Ricky, I don't use them, you know, and and you will, you know. Did you go out and buy a set of dumbbells no, after that? No, I, I, I thought, look, I, I just need to learn, I, I, I need to learn how to how to see what I can't do about trying to progress and, and being a little bit better of a songwriter, you know. <laughs> I was enjoying that a whole lot better than I was trying yeah. to push a wheelbarrow through that sugar oh, sand in Florida. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, through the, the sand. Now, when you, now, I'm getting way off track here, but when you go in, because that's inland Florida, North of Orlando, is the soil down there? Is it? It's it's sandy. It's oh, all sandy. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause see, it mean it. What at one time it was nothing but orange groves. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's man. That that's that's what would grow an orange tree. You know, that citrus, man. It it's on, it, it would blossom. You know, in that in that in that Florida sand. That's wild how some plants can just thrive in sand. Now, of course, up here, you know, we're depending on where you're at, red clay and whatnot. Yeah, red so dirt. It just, yeah. it just changes. Uh, plants prefer different. I'm getting off on the But I tell you what, I will here. say this, though. To me, I think vegetables taste better in red dirt than they do that black dirt in Florida. Now, that that's me. I, you know, because that, that, see, we, we, we peas and uh, all kind of beans and stuff like that. Uh, man, we grew up on that stuff. I mean, that's that's what we had. And sometimes that's that's what we eat. Man, mom would make a dad blame big old pot of black eyed peas, and she'd make some cornbread. And brother, that that wasn't just supper. You know, that was lunch. When you got home from school, if you was hungry, you know, you you'd get on that too. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and biscuits that she would make in the morning and stuff. Man, we'd take take that biscuit, and we'd take our finger, and we'd stick it down in the middle. We'd pour so much syrup in there and pinch the top of it all. So that, 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 that was... We didn't know anything about no jelly-filled donuts. Son. We knew about a syrup-filled donut, and that, that was good enough for us. Well, down there in Florida, because I'm, I'm trying to think like a staple of what y'all would eat down there. Was it, because, um, again, you say oranges. That's what I think of as citrus down there. But in the, the area in which you were corn. around. Man, corn. Man, corn and, 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 and cabbage and celery. No kidding. Yeah, man, celery and cabbage. Man, Sanford was was like... Uh, the cabbage capital of the world, and 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 nothing was more hideous than harvest time when they'd be getting cabbage. I mean, man, that stuff stunk, and they'd be out there harvesting that, you know, harvesting that cabbage. And you, you always knew what time of year it was. Well, whoo, they getting that cabbage. See, I'd have never guessed that about cabbage. Yeah, if, cabbage in Florida, yeah, and, just... and, and and celery as well too. What about? Uh... Now, there's a lot of beef cows in Florida. Was yes, there a lot there of cows are. in that area? Yes, sir. The beef. And, you know, there was a little bit of a dairy business, but but there was more there was more beef business in mm-hmm. Florida with uh, with cattle, and uh, and then the further south you went was more beef cattle. You know, and and sugar cane down there too. Around I know Okeechobee. Yeah, down I fixed and say now the further you got, you'd get into to uh, to water based. Stuff you know, you you could you could run into the uh, sugar cane and and that kind of stuff. Where where a lot of these pure cane sugar company mm-hmm. would man they you know man they had they, they, just just like you'd see you know uh, corn fields or whatever a cabbage field. I mean you'd see acres and acres and acres of of, of cane stalks. And man, they they'd go out there with them big machines. Man, you talking about smelling good? Man, that that's woo. Man, that smelled good. And then there was a little place down in, uh, right out of Haines City, and it was a place called Donald Duck. And uh, what they did was is they would take them old oranges, and uh, they they had a lot of those orange groves down there that that was for nothing more than juicing. You know, so they may not be the prettiest orange in the world. They didn't want it to be the prettiest orange in the world. They they were wanting the juice from it, and uh, they would they would take those oranges and you man they they'd harvest them things and eat in these big old uh, uh, boxes wood boxes and they'd load that thing and they and and they they'd send that on to Donald Duck and and Donald man they'd get to cooking that orange juice down, and man you could smell that orange juice cooking man and it man it just woo. I've never thought about that, but as far as like a variety that's that's specifically for just juice, it's not going to look like those those beautiful, big, luscious ones you see in the store. Yeah, you see, buy in a- where, where you would find those, in fact, Hale Groves is a is a company uh, that I'll use uh, at Christmas time to to send somebody a fruit basket, and and it's it generates around citrus, mm-hmm. and they, they get their fruit from from a place in Florida called Indian River. And there you got that sugar sand, and then you got the Indian River that keeps keeps that land just as fertile, mm-hmm. and keeps them oranges just as juicy. Man, them navel oranges, and them grapefruit and stuff like that. Man, look, man, I, I them 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 ruby reds. I can peel a ruby red and eat it like an orange. <laughs> now, I, 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 I didn't I didn't care too much for the for the regular old white. Grapefruit, as they call it, right? That, that, them things were too bitter for me, and and people pour sugar and everything else on them, you know, to try to get them to taste good. I'd rather have one of them 
uh, ruby reds and just peel it and eat it like an orange. I can't. The grapefruit, they're bitter. I have a hard time with it. They say they're good for you, though. Oh, you know, the, the, man, they are good for I, you. I can't do it either. I have a hard time with yeah, it. Yeah, well, the, the, the white ones I did, and, and, and my daddy on his place, man, he had about, about four or five orange trees. And then he had about two or three grapefruit trees, and and those were the the white grapefruit. <laughs> Man, as far as I was concerned, they'd stay on that tree. I I didn't care for them at all. Do you ever get down there nowadays? Do you ever still have family down there in, yeah, in Florida? Yeah, uh, you know I got aunts and uncles. Uh, uh, I had a brother that passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, of course, you know, mom and dad. Uh, Mama died in '93, uh, and then daddy died in 2005, and. You know, even after Mama died, he he stayed there for a couple of years, and then he had he, he could he couldn't stay in the house no longer without Mama being there. Mm. So he sold the home place, and and uh, uh, you know, it, it it was never like going home anymore. Mm. You know, and uh, I just uh, uh, no, I you know I I very seldom ever go at all. You know, now I've still got got some some aunts and some uncles down there, but they're they're like uh, my my mama's brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. or uh, my my dad's uh, uh, brother, or or something like that. But you know, no, nobody that you know that that, that no immediate yeah immediate you know family. not not like a brother or a sister right. because my my two sisters moved uh, up close to Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, around the Green Cove Springs area is where they moved, and and then uh, now my brother Ricky was the only one that pretty much stayed in Central Florida, and then of course, like I say, you know he he passed away a couple of years ago. So I, I, I really have no reason to go back. Mm. You know, because you're living in Alabama now, right? Right? Uh-huh. Is it on on my phone? It pops up as Rogersville, Alabama. Yeah, that, yeah, right? but but it's uh, I, I live in a in a little place which is about eight <clears> miles from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And uh, it's a little place called Tuscumbia, but I don't leave in, I don't live in the city limits of Tuscumbia. That's just where our mailing address is. Uh, but I live on up the mountain in a, in a place called Colbert Heights. Now, are you a University of Alabama fan? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, let me ask you: When old Saban decided to retire, what was your what was your immediate reaction from well, that? Well, you know, tell you the truth, I I. Uh, I wasn't surprised by it. I, I really wasn't because I, 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 when, when this, when this college portal thing started happening, because mm-hmm. see, I, I knew that he was already having to fight. You know, he'd get a championship team, and before it was all over with, some other college would hire his, you know, his offensive coordinator mm-hmm. or his defensive coordinator on on either side of the ball or uh, assistant coach. And stuff like that. So not only was he trying to recruit, you know, players for the team, and not only him trying to build a team, now he's now he's got to try to try to get get a coach to work into his system, you know. So therefore, I, you know, I thought, man, the guy's duped on every side. And then when 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 this portal came along, and I, I literally, I, I believe it's going to be the the damnation of collegiate football. I really do. Because you know, there's already no loyalty in pro ball, and and money and a place to play and an opportunity. You know, he 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 could have somebody all during spring training, get them three weeks away from a game, and they portal out and go somewhere else. You know, and and I don't think he wanted to fight that anymore because he he wasn't fighting. It wasn't 
the, the coaching changed, and 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 the portal made it, I think, almost in, impossible for him to be able to pull that off. Between that and that NIL money, you know, where they're paying players That's what I'm now. saying. You know, they, you know, it, who in the world would want to be faithful to that when knowing that good and well that, look, you know, man, we, we want you over here, and, you know, I don't know what they're giving you over there, but, this, you know, this is what we're willing to give you. You know, we, man, we need a wide receiver in the worst kind. Man, we got, we got a quarterback with an arm. We just need to put a body under the ball, and you the one can get down there to get it. Well – uh, next thing you know, they they're in the portal and they, they they've gotten picked up, you know, and and so they're therefore you know there's somebody that's that's been coached, and and say say they've been there a year, and then you know they're through spring training like I was saying and and getting ready for summer camp and all this other kind of stuff and getting ready to play fall ball, they're leaving, mm-hmm. you know. So now the position that you'd work with somebody on. And you'd worked with them since last year on that same position. Now they're going to take up somewhere else, and and I, I honestly, truly think that, that that had a lot to do. Now I don't know this, but I do believe that that had a lot to do uh, with his decision to leave. It uh, he was going to have to coach, but he was going to have to fight a whole lot more than he'd ever fought before coaching. I don't blame him for if that's the reason. I don't blame him for not wanting to fool. Well, no, me, you I know, would, and the I thing about it was is he he was awfully good. Uh, for college football, not 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 just the University of Alabama. I mean, he he literally was good for college football. Period. Uh, you know, he 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 did good uh, by allowing coaches to to recognize and realize. Look, you can be a winner if you work with these boys, and this is how you work with them, and this is how you can teach them, and this is this is what they'll get from you, and 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 you'll be a winner by letting them be a winner, and they want to win. And therefore, they'll make you a winner in the process. You apply, they'll apply. I always thought, as a, as a UT fan, Tennessee fan, I'd be happy when Saban finally does retire. But when I got the news, man, I felt a sense of uh, lament about it because it's the it's the changing of this air because he's been he's been a coach for a long time. Yeah. And it just goes to show it's like the changing of the old guard. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm I'm sure you've probably felt that in music in a lot of ways. You're talking about like the social media part of it and how it's changed so much. And you, you have to evolve. Yeah, you sure if do. If you want to continue in it. Yeah, you gotta continue you gotta continue uh, recreating yourself. And in fact our bass player, Paul Sanders, had sent me a meme. <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, don't you know that most of the state of Alabama right now would be depressed if they could read. <laughs> you know, when Saban announced right. that, that he, he was retired. It, it, it's fun when you can laugh at stuff like that. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Look, it, it is. It's funny, you know. Uh, uh, but, you know, look, all my all my folks were from Alabama. And Because uh, well, uh, Wikipedia it said Greenville, Alabama. But it's, it's, you were born and raised in Sanford, Florida. Yes, sir. Who's in charge of the Wikipedia page? I, you know, for, for the life of me, we still can't figure that out. You know, man, we've had a couple of managers look into that. Well, now, how do I know that I can trust what you're – what? Look, I, I'll send you the boys. I said, look, uh, Cole, I, I, I'll give you my – I'll make a copy of my birth certificate. <laughs> send it to them, you know. And, 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 and we had one old boy one time said, well, man, look, I, I'll change that for you. And 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 it never changed. It was still Greenville, Alabama. And but you know, look, I I, I don't care 
if you know, because look, I'm certainly not ashamed of you know where my folks came from. But if you know, for anybody to get the story accurate, you know, they'd, they'd have to say Sanford, Florida, where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. But it, it ain't no narrative. It's like Rabin. Uh, you know, people say, "Now is it Raybon or <laughs> Raybon?" You know, and I said, "Look, brother, it it don't make no difference." I'll answer it either. Man, why don't you tell that fella it's Raybon? Look, man, let him go. He he's all right, man. It, it ain't hurt nothing. When you know, when I was in school, my first name is Robert. My middle name's Clinton. So I go by Clint, which you know I didn't choose. I just kind of my your parents' name. You don't have any control. That's over right. That. It's like Marty. My my real name is Marlon, and my mama my mama called me Marty, and I've I've been Marty all my life. So when in school, when they would say Marlon Rabin, yeah, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even we when they do that with me with Robert, I just I just say yep here you know no well usually when they would do that when a substitute would come in and they go Marlon Raylan Rabin they go. What? <laughs> you know, and, you know, the uh, my other school pals stuff. Man, that's your, what's your name? <laughs> you know, that's a tongue tire, you know, and yeah. it is. But my daddy named me after two of his brothers. Mm. And that's the reason why I wound up with Marlon Raylan Raven. Marlon Raylan Raven. Yeah, M-A-R-L-O-N, R-A-Y-L-O-N, R-A-Y-B-O-N. I was thinking it would have been... Short for Martin, which I guess in most cases maybe it is. It, it, I, I think it is. When when people call people Marty, it's, uh, you know, it's it's either short. Uh, people would give them Morty uh, or uh, Marty if it was Martin or anything like that. And then and then like like Marlon, a lot of people would spell my name like the fish, mm-hmm. and I'd have to tell them you know it's Marlon, like you know like as in Brando. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I, I, when I when I see it in my head, I think of the fish's spelling. Which yeah. I think is kind of cool. I think of that big fish with that, you know, that sword coming out and that yeah. big fin on it. Yeah, back. man. But either way, Marlon Brando, that's cool too. Yeah, hey, that that's pretty neat. Yeah, because yeah, people say, "Hey, you spell it." It's Marlon, as in Brando. Mm. All right, I can remember that now. I was uh, now this was back in the fall. I was carrying a steer to get processed. This was early in the morning. This probably. I, well, it probably wasn't before seven. It was probably a little after seven, and I can't remember what station I had it on. Maybe ninety seven nine in that. I don't. Either way, you came on there and you were talking about your collaboration with with Luke Combs uh-huh. and Two Dozen Roses. So I'm just curious, how did all that come about? Well, we had started getting, uh, you know, twenty. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, was a rough year for several people. You know, it shut the music business down like it did everything else. But um, uh, a lot of people, you know, they started going to search engines and they started looking for music and they started finding this and they'd find that and find this and find that. And then all of a sudden we started, in 21, we started getting all these TikToks of these girls going, you know, he broke my heart. And I, I don't really, but, you know, and the only way in the world he can make it up to me is if he's got two dozen rows, you know, and this kind of stuff. And and, and literally, we'd keep, we'd keep getting inundated with those. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Luke Bryan and, and uh, Al Dean and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Miranda Lambert uh, was doing Sunday in the South and, and, and this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, then all of a sudden, uh, a couple of people started sending us videos of uh, of Luke Combs doing the whole two dozen roses. It wasn't just a piece of it. He, he was doing from beginning to end two dozen roses. And and the one thing about this business, 
Uh, and especially, you got to remember, look, two dozen roses is older than Luke is, you know? <laughs> so the thing about it is, and as hot as he is, and he's hotter than a firecracker. Well, now, if Luke wanted to re-record that, you know, they'd say, yeah, I mean, you, you, have you heard Luke's new song, uh, Two Dozen Roses? Then it, it, it would belong to him. You know, that, that that's that's the way, it, you know, that's the way it would go down. Mm-hmm. And so we got to thinking, man, before anybody else records that, Man, we need, we need to, and you know, I, I, I'm going to see if I can't get Luke to do that with us. So then it started the process of me and Luke talking back and forth and, and uh, texting back and forth. And and uh, before you know it, he said, man, I'd love to do it. And uh, so that, that's, that, that's really how that came about. Because we already had a track cut on it because uh, we had signed a new deal with 8-Track Entertainment. And uh, Noah Gordon uh, said, look, said, fellas, what I'd like to do is I, I'd, I'd like to take probably about the five or six biggest records you had and re-record them. And, I, man, I, I want to do them just like the original records. Use the same instrumentation, just sonically bring them up to date. You know, because, I mean, we were cutting them records back in the late 80s, you know. So sonically, the the business has changed uh, immense. I, you know, I mean, just tons so anyway, so uh, uh, we did, and and he said, Marty, you know, if you can't, just, man, go back and listen to the way that you sang those original records. You know, because, you know, after you've done it for 34 years, they start morphing. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, you know, you, you know, I, I want it to be new. Uh, and to be honest with you, I want it to be new for me, but I also want the excitement and that kind of stuff with the crowd and, you know, and people's energized I want to be able to, you know, to be energized with it and to be able to change it a little bit here and there. Not, 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 not that it's overhauled, but just, you know, maybe sing a, sing a, take a little bit of liberty with the melody and, and, and do the melody a little different on the, on the verses or something. You know, keep the intro and the, and the choruses all the same, but, you know, the verses, you know, you know, stretch out a little bit on them, you know, just to, just to keep it new to you. He said, man, uh, try to listen to the original record and, and, and try to, if you can try to get try to get your head back into in what you sang back in 88 89 90 and that kind of stuff and let's you know let's when we cut this let's see what we can do about trying to get that that vocal as close as what we did originally and uh so we did and uh uh you know and to be honest with you that was a feat in itself i mean i i literally had to had to had to relearn how i sang that was that interesting going back in time, so to speak, to to, to really put yourself where you were in '88, trying to remember how? Well, what the it, it was? wasn't just that, Clint. I mean, it was just you know, I I was thinking that you know that I, I'm singing it better than I did then. You know, the more you do anything, the better you'll get at it. And I'm thinking, you know, that it actually sounds better the way we're doing it now than you know. But that's what he wanted, and uh, that's what we did, and and. Uh, Anyway, so we we got the track to Luke, and Luke loved it, and and uh, said, "Man, this man, this brings me back, man. This man, this like when I was growing up." Because see, the track that Luke got, I'd sang all of it. Where on the on the track that that we put out that he's on, he sang the second verse, and uh, the second chorus. So, uh, you know, it uh, man, hey, it worked out. I mean, like I'm saying, it it. Uh, Wound up being a number one record. I I would have never believed that, but but it it, it was amazing, and especially the way that it happened and as fast as it happened, was absolutely unbelievable. Thursday night, 
we were sitting on the verge of being, you know, number one in the top 40 in country. And by Saturday night, we, we, we were in the top 100 at Apple. You know, and, and thinking, man, how does this happen? You know, I mean, we're, we're out selling Tay-Tay, you know, and, and thinking, you know, man, the year she's had, you know. I mean, even before the Kansas City Chiefs come along, you know, you're thinking, man, that, you know, we actually sold more records this week, and it only lasted six days, but we took it. Does that ever get old as far as just watching the – Whatever you watch, the charts, whatever is uh, you know keeping up with the success of the the song itself. Does that ever get old watching no, it? No, you know, because like I, you know, because through the years, I became a bit of study about it. You know, and I think, ah, man, if we, you know, boys, we got to get some more spins. We're gonna lose this record. So, and and you start learning that stuff. You, you know, man, we got, man, we got to at least have fourteen more spins this week to if we're gonna move up at all. Man, we got to have those four, or else somebody's got to go. And it don't look like to me as strong as they are. They're going anywhere. Mm. So therefore, you know, you you didn't want to get up to the top, and all of a sudden it, it'd be a log jam, because at that time now you got to say, do we have the power to stay until it starts thinning? So therefore, you know, you you would want that. You know, you, you'd want to keep churning, and and therefore trying to trying to watch and and see what the charts were doing and see where you were at. It, you know, it, it, because really, actually, all that's kind of a science, too. And, and now, don't get me wrong, I, I don't sit around and study it, study it. But when I look at a chart, that that's what I'm studying when I look at it. Well, it sounds like it's part of the overall game of it. And mm-hmm. it's something you need it to, is. to have because it, but Because, that, you know, that, that that's the game, and that's the game that, 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 uh, that everybody else is going by. Is there some strategy involved in it as far as, like, the time of the year that it's put out? Versus, yeah. you know, like summertime, I imagine songs like, you know, certain songs do better in the summer versus they would the winter being put out. No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely, <clears throat> there is. I mean, that, you know, when you know that it's it's going to be six weeks before they break for a Christmas break, all right, how far can you churn that chart before they freeze the charts for two weeks to play Christmas music? And as strong as you are before you get there is going to determine how strong you are going to be coming out of it because they're just going to pick up where you were. Now, do people still want to hear it as much as they did before then as they did after the Christmas break, you know, and where you fall in that? So, therefore, you know, yeah, there's there's strategy in that as well, too. And then you can say, well, ah, that, that man, that may be a little bit too close for the break. Man, let's wait till after the first of the year. And then let's, man, let's hit the ground running with it. And, you know, because of the way the charts have changed, you know, you can do that now. But there's an art to it. Uh, no, it, there it is. Like. There is. And, and you just got to have, you got to have people that are working those records. Uh, we, we got a fellow working with us by the name of Bob Mitchell. And, and Bob, uh, he, he's, he, he's, he's probably, man, that cat's probably one of the sharpest knives in the drawer. And uh, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Now, here's here's why I wouldn't do it. And then by the time he gets done explaining it, you go, well, no, you know, that, that really actually, I see his point. But on, only unless you really believed in something. You know, no, no, no. You know, I'm going to tell you what's a fact. I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking this is going to, I'm thinking this is going to be a little bit, little bit stronger than that. Did you always have the mindset of 
taking other people's advice and really listening to it instead of just waving it off and saying, you know, I, I ain't fooling with that. I'm going to I'm going to do it the way I want to do it versus listening to other people that may be a little bit more. Seasoned. No, 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 man. You, you got to you got to surround yourself with smart people. You know, that's how you become smart. That, that That's how you learn this craft. That's how you learn this trade. You know, it's just like sitting sitting in a room with a with a songwriter that's man. He, if you're sitting there, you're having to prove yourself to him. He he don't have to prove anything. Right, man. He 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 got twenty five number one records. Well, what are you going to prove to him? So when he tells you, you know, look, man, let's put this line in there because this makes sense. Us coming off of that, and it'll feed into that line better. So what we need, we need a line that that'll feed us into that. And you start learning those th- those little tools. And so, therefore, yeah, you, you, you need to listen when, when, when people that have been there and they've done it and they've been successful at it, man, you don't ever sneeze at anybody that, you know, that, that, uh, that, that, that's got that kind of track record. It, it reminds me, because you mentioned Proverbs earlier. You know, Solomon, he wrote most of the Proverbs mm-hmm. in the book. And, you know, after he passed, his boy that inherited the kingdom, Rehoboam, uh, I think it's in Kings or Chronicles, they talk about how he... He, instead of listening to his daddy's advisors, he went and got some of his buddies who were younger and listened to them. And ultimately, that's what split the kingdom in half. And I, that, that always resonated with me about listening to people. As far if you have pride in something, some or you're maybe a little bit arrogant, sometimes you got to lay that aside and listen to somebody who's a, a veteran in yeah, the craft. You know, in fact, uh, one of the things that, that we did, I, I spoke to you earlier about. You know, Robert Byrne talked about said, "Man, we what we got to have is great songs." And one of the good things about working the clubs and stuff like that and doing the top 40 music, we knew what worked with an audience. You know, we seen how this one would work and, you know, that one. In fact, even to the point, you know, ah, this, you know, you know, we got to learn it because that's what the club owner wanted us mm-hmm. to do. But this record isn't going to be around long. It, you know, it ain't, it ain't moving nobody. It's, it's on the chart, but it's not going to stay long. And you'd start learning those things. Well... When Robert gave the advice to us about, you know, look, we're going to find the tunes and we got access to get to other writers and this kind of stuff. And that's what I said a while ago. You know, they would let us cut, you know, a tune that we did. Well, back then, you know, you'd put 12 tunes on a record. And when you got three writers in the band that's writing, well, you know, there's still nine spots, you know, you can put hits in. And so, therefore, you know, when they said, man, look, you know, we, we need to cut this one. And you didn't give them any flack over it. You know, you, you you cut it, you know. And then before too long, you started going, you know what? That's a hit. That is that is a stone screaming smash right there. And then it, then it, when you look around and you're in a song listening meeting and everybody goes, whoo, boys, that's it. You know, because the thing about it is, is when, when, you, when you're in those songwriting listening meetings and stuff like that, Songs get narrowed down, and they continue to get narrowed down because, you know, you're only going for 12 spots. And before it's all over, you literally can see the cream rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Or somebody will come in like on the second to third day of, of recording, they'll go, you got to hear this. You got to hear it. And they, they, they were several sessions that, that, that we recorded that we literally had got the tune that day. Is it pretty normal to be surprised in the way of maybe you have a song in your mind that you're thinking this this is it this is going to be a hit 
and then it doesn't this flop flop is not the right word but it doesn't gain the traction that you yeah, thought it, it was going it, to. it didn't have that or i tell you even better than that you record it and you think man that, that, that didn't come off man that just didn't come off like i thought it would you know man i just i just knew i just knew we could have got our teeth in that and it just man it just ah it just i don't know I, i'm not crazy about it like i used to be I, I don't I don't think we pulled it off. And then you hear another artist do it and go, nah, they pulled it off. You know. <laughs> and it, which is which is great because, you know, it, it's good for the songwriter. Oh sure. It, well, what about on the flip side of that where you you put out one and you're thinking, ah, you know, it's all right. And then it turns out to be a, a smash hit. Does that well I, t- you know, I tell you what, uh Rick Hall, as legendary as, as Rick was, I mean he he won producer of the year. I mean he he man, Rick was a he was a sharp cookie, man. And, and uh, uh, Jay Booker had sent us Sunday in the South, and uh, he said, "Boys," and I mean, every one of us kept saying, "Man, this man, this this is our hometown, man. This is where we live." And in fact, we ain't no different than anybody else. This is where everybody lives, you know. Whether you're in uh, 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 Minnesota, or, or whether you're in New York City, it, you know, it, no matter what the style of, of living is, that this is it. And anyway, so Rick said, "Boys, I'm telling you, that song, <laughs> we'll cut it. Y'all want to cut it? By Ned, we'll cut it. But that song ain't gonna get played past the Mason Dixon line. And the first three weeks that it was out." It was number one at YNY in New York City the second and third week. You know, and Rick said, well, I, I'll eat crow on that, but I'd have never believed in a million years that that, uh, I'd have never believed it. It, it, it would have splashed like that. And then, it, you know, and it wound up being one of the number one records that we had. You know? I imagine that's part of the fun of the entire thing. But you just don't really ever know what you're going to get, and you might have a, Somebody that's a veteran telling you, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in this one." And then a couple of weeks later, like you just said, it's number one in New York City. Yeah. Well, you know, but the thing about it is, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when somebody goes, "Marty, I, you know, I, I think that you're probably one of the greatest country music singers ever was." Well, you know, th- that's preference. You know, you know, or who do you think the greatest country music singer ever was, Marty? And, and, you know, tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't know who it is. I don't think it's me. But the thing about it is, is, man, I can listen to something that George Jones did and think, man, that cat, he's the best, man. And then listen to a to a Haggard record and go, man. Or listen to a Johnny Paycheck record, old violin or something like that, and get to thinking, man. <laughs> You know, or a Gene Watson record, and and you know you listening to that, and 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 you think, man, oh man, or Ray Price singing, you know, for the good times, and you think, man, that you know no, nothing beats that, mm-hmm. you know. So I I, I I I think it's just a preference that people have, and and uh, uh, I I know down through the years what I've tried to do, I've just tried tried my best to be smart enough. To try to get a hold of, of of some of the things emotionally, and some of the things that I I think that that that, that other singers that I admired a whole lot the way they delivered it, it wasn't necessarily it's not copying them, 
but it's trying to trying to get into that vein the way that they delivered it. You know, to try to try to pull the heart of the lyric out so that people can hear it. Evokes emotion in them. Uh, yes, absolutely. And uh, uh, so, therefore, I you know, I, you know, I just man, there's there's been a lot of them down to to and 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 even people that that literally have never been heard of. Man, I think Mundo Earwood. Seriously, I mean, as funny a name as that guy had, to me, he was probably one of the best country music singer male street you know you know some of the fundamental best singers that there was you know and and you think well man why, why didn't they ever happen well i i don't know why they never happened it's kind of like you know why hadn't tim menzi ever happened you know why hadn't mac mcanally ever happened as successful as mac mcanally is as a songwriter and as many songs as he you know him and robert Byrne wrote two dozen roses and, and and just a tremendous talent. And you think, man, he puts out a record and it goes nowhere. And you get to think, man, what in the world are people listening to? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what what are they wanting? You know, and, and sometimes it's, it's a little mythified. It seems like something that maybe, and I'm sure there's so many factors that go hey, into it. There is. It, but, there you know, is. It, it just the, maybe the timing of it wasn't exactly right. Well, they could have put it out in a, in a different generation. Yeah. And it would have it would have took off. Yeah, that's it right. Just hit or miss. It's that's like right. fishing. Yeah, you know. Because I, I look, I, I'm a I'm a firm believer again in the providence of God. You know, people said, "Man, y'all y'all y'all, were, y'all y'all must have been in the right place at the right time," or "Man, you man y'all y'all y'all, y'all must have hit that lucky streak or whatever." And see, I I don't believe in luck, and I don't believe in happenstance, and I don't believe in the right place at the right time. I believe in the providence of God, and that's what I believe in. And I believe in the reason why uh, people are where they are is because the Bible says that God puts men up and puts men down. And whatever their role in life is, it's because, you know, if they follow the Lord, what do they do or what do they don't? God puts them, you know, where, where they are. And look, whether you like whether you like Biden or whether you don't, I, I particularly, you know, like, you know, Donald Trump. But whether you like Biden or whether you don't, uh, the providence of God said that, said that you know, Joe Biden's going to be the president of the United States, and and he is, you know. And I don't argue with that. You know, he, he's the president. You know. So well, well, the thing about it is, Marty. You know, there, a lot of men in your position wouldn't they wouldn't be as humble as you are, and as modest as you are. Just like the you don't have to be sitting here talking to me, but you're taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and talk with me, and that's not something you had to do. And 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 we're sitting here talking. And again, your kindness and humbleness that you have, you're stewarding your gifts very well. Well, well, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, you know, look, it, it's, uh, you know, Clint, all of us have an opportunity to help anybody along. For some people, it's, you know, it's helping an elderly fellow that's alongside the road that's got a flat. And that old boy, you know, man, when you seen him when his flat happened. You pulled over alongside the road, and you seen him get out of his truck, and he couldn't even hardly bend over. I'm going to tell you something. If my, if that was my pawpaw, I'd give anything in the world if somebody would stop and help my pawpaw mm-hmm. change that tire, you know, and never think another thing about it, you know. Man, I got I, I went through this spell where I was picking up hitchhikers. You don't see so many of them, just so, many, so much of them anymore. But th- there was a time my, my wife would say, don't, don't, don't do that. You know, somebody's going to stick a knife or they'll shoot you, you know, they'll steal your truck. 
And I'm thinking, you know, uh, Melly, the, 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 the only people that I ever pick up is when I literally feel in my heart led that, you know, it, it's like I, I would hear the voice of the Lord say, <coughs> pick him up, you know, and and I would. And, and, and man, I, I've had some of the best godly conversations with fellows that I've picked up. Let, let me tell you this story real, real quick. I, I picked an old boy up south of Nashville one day, and uh, uh, he was, in fact, he wasn't even thumbing. He was just walking. And I pulled over in front of him, and I said, man, come on. Just throw that over in the back of the truck. Come on. I said, where are you going? He said, well, I, 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 if I'm not bad wrong, I think he said he was going to Louisville. Uh, anyway, so, uh, but he said, I, I, I got I to gotta get up and get off up here in Nashville. I, that's where I, I said, well, look, I'm going to Nashville. He said, well, he said, I'll ride with you that far. And I'm telling you something, man, we had one of the best godly conversations that you could ever have in your life. And he told me, he said, look, so just right up here. He said, pull, pull over just right up here, and I, I'll get out because this, this really is close to where, where I'm needing to go. And, of course, there's traffic coming along on North 65 and, and stuff like that. So, anyway, so I, I let him out, and I, I'm looking to my left at, at the traffic and everything like that. So uh, he gets out of the truck, and he reaches around, and he, he, grabs, he grabs his bag, and then I started looking for him. And I, I, I don't know where he went. I mean, I even got out of the truck because I thought, you know, that sap sucker has failed down that embankment. Now he's really going to need some help now. Man, I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find that fella hiding the hair of him. And as I got to going down the road, I got to, a Bible scripture came to me. And that was, to entertain strangers for doing so, you never know when you have entertained an angel. Mm -hmm. And and I even said, I you know, because I'm the only one in the truck, and I, I said, just like I'm talking to you, Lord, did I, did I just entertain an angel? Lord, was that was that fellow an angel? And, I mean, I didn't hear the Lord say, yep, sure was. You gave him a ride, <laughs> you know. About, about 87 miles, you gave him, you know, or 50, wherever it was, I picked him up. It was south of town. And uh, he wrote, I mean, we rode, we talked for a pretty good while. So I'm going to say it was probably 60, 70 miles, at least that. And, uh, but we did, man. They was, they was just something about that old boy's spirit, something the way, in, in, in the way he talked. You know, he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't your average Joe that you picked up alongside the road that, that had run into some hardship in St. Louis and was trying to, trying to get away and, and you know, I I ain't gonna tell the fella about you know my, my law breaking years or anything like that. I mean, we, you know, we we, we talked we talked about the scriptures and and what you know what they meant and I, that kind of stuff. And man, they, they they was something about that old boy's spirit that I, I'll never forget it. In fact, that's the reason why I told it. I, I I'll never forget that story long as day I live. Well, as human beings, we want to rationalize things. You know, there's got to yeah. be a reason sure why. Do. Yeah, it, it, it didn't just. You know, there's something we want to make sense of it, and I think it's if, if you're a man of faith, it's arrogant to think that you know the scripture says it. Yeah, and the context seems pretty clear to me that you don't know who you're talking to at yeah. times or well, helping out. The thing out. about it, well, see, I, I knew I knew he didn't come around on the left side. 
the traffic. I mean, it, you know, the traffic's blowing by like it's like all get out. And he wouldn't have had time to get across mm-hmm. the road. That, there's no way in the world. I mean, it, it man, it's it's three lanes of, I mean, you know, just everybody going north. And the only place in the world he could have been was was on the right side of the truck. And I got to thinking, you know, man, that guy has fell down that embankment. And because I, I literally let him off right there on, on, on 65, literally right there in front of 100 Oaks Mall. Mm-hmm. That, that's where I let him off at. And, uh, and I, 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 you know, I, I thought, man, wh- 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 where did this guy go? And you got out and got to looking around. And he I, I did. I, I literally got, in fact, like I'm saying, I literally got out of my truck because I got to looking around and I got to thinking, well, he wouldn't be on the, he wouldn't be at the back of the truck. <laughs> You know, and so anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm looking around stuff like that. So I literally, you know, dodging the same traffic he would have had to waiting for an opening. I got out of the truck and went around there and started looking around and I, I couldn't find him nowhere. Did it give you a weird feeling? Not a, not a frightened feeling, but just a strange sensation, you know? Well, you know, I, I just, I don't know the conversation that we had had. I, and I don't know whether I felt it before then. Or, or certainly feeling it afterwards, I I felt there was something, uh, there was something different mm-hmm. about us riding together, and, and and literally because of nothing more than what we talked, he 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 didn't want to talk about anything other than that, you know. And Imagine all the opportunities we, maybe not you, Marty. You might take all those opportunities you get to help people. Well, you know, out, I but. tell you what, though, Clint, I, I I probably I probably should take more than than what I do. I don't take it's. It's just a, it's this balance of being servant-hearted towards your fellow man, because that's what we're called to do. And then on the other hand, it's you know, I don't, am I safe right now, or is my family safe with this person around, or yeah. you know, am I in danger? So it's. But if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking through you, then I think you got to take it up on it. Yeah. No. No. I. You know. That, that. That's really the only time I would ever pick anybody up. I mean, I. I had the kind of feel in my spirit that it, you know, mm-hmm. that it would be okay. I, I wouldn't just pick up anybody. I mean, I passed hitchhikers that I, that I never felt anything in the world on. But then there was times, you know, man, I should pick that old boy up. Just something I, inside I, yeah, of you. That, man, I, I should pick that old boy up. And, you know, some, you know, uh, you, know you, you give them $20, $30 or something like that. This old boy didn't want anything. You know, man, he just... We talked and he shared and and uh, like I'm saying, man, I I had such a such an absolutely wonderful feeling about it, you know. I, I did. I, I even aloud, I even said, Lord, you know, did I? Is that what I just did? Did, did, did I literally just meet an angel? You know, because see, they they're gonna come in a different form, you know. And I I believe I have met angels. I really do. I I believe that wholeheartedly, you know. You know, was this was this another one? I, you know, I think so. I think it absolutely. It's happened. either that that old boy can flat show get up and get on where he's going because <laughs> he did. <laughs> he got gone real quick. Well, I was about to. I, and hey, I, I I believe it. I've heard. I've never had an experience like that myself, but I've had people close to me that have had similar experiences. But I was thinking, was it? I was going to ask you, did he look like? Uh, Hank Senior, you know the David Allen Coe song, "The Ride," except yeah. he gets picked up, picked up by Hank Senior and let off in Nashville. Yeah, the whole world you know? calls me Hank. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I don't. I absolutely think that kind of thing goes on, and 
it's scary to think we don't take those opportunities. And I know I don't a lot of times take those opportunities out of selfishness or self-preservation or whatever the case may be. Well, you know, and look, my, my, my wife is right. I mean, you know, nowadays, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the only way in the world that I would do it is, it is if I really felt drawn by the person, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. to do it. You know, uh, but like I say, you know, you don't even see as many hitchhikers anymore because most of them know there ain't nobody going to pick them up. When my grandfather, when he got out of the Army, he hitchhiked. I want to say my mom told me from California to Waverly, Tennessee, where he was from. And that was was normal back then. Yeah, and I was fixing to say there was a lot of cats did that. Yeah. You know, they hitched back, hitched all all the way from California. They'd get off a ship, and they next thing you know, they— they on the eastern seaboard, mm-hmm. you know, and they they, they they done that by foot and in the next ride, you know. The world has changed a lot. It sure has, but it's changed a it's changed a bunch. Well, Marty, we've been going almost an hour and forty five minutes, and I could go a lot longer with you. We've covered everything from how you got started, how it all came about, to orange trees and peas and everything else, <laughs> and talking about college football and how it works, to to interaction with angels. You know, I think. Uh, you could have a conversation like that. I think we can keep going a lot longer and talk about a lot of other stuff. Well, I'm, I'm sure we could. But I know you got somewhere you got to be, and um, well, I, I sure have enjoyed it. I have too. I really have. I but have it, to. it's been good to get to know you a little better. Yeah, too. yeah. Uh, likewise, Let we got to slip in up there at the house and get your mom to make some one of them buttermilk pies. Did she, did she make you one last no, time? No, uh-uh, no. And that's why I'm saying Don kept saying, "Oh, you got to eat one of mom's buttermilk." Oh, I said, "Don, your mom ain't never made me one, bro." <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever had chess pie, it's really similar to chess, but better. But it's similar to no, chess no. Pie. He he told me, said, "Man, you you won't ever eat you won't ever eat a piece of pie better than that." Oh, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Well, I, you know, we can we can probably mail you one. I'd have to put it on dry ice or something. Well, but we by can... that, I, I I'd, I'd eat it. <laughs> I, I, I'd sure enough eat it. I guarantee you I will. Well, Marty, again, just the fact you've taken the time to sit down and do this with me, I, I greatly appreciate it more than you know. And I guess what my last question is for what's what's next for Shannon Doe? What's next for you? Are you going to retire? Are you going to? Uh, not that I know of. Man, we we love people too much and, and still love doing what we're doing. And, and uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's been battered around that, that maybe we'd slow down a little bit. But every time we say that, we get more work. We work. We literally worked more last year than we ever, ever have as the group Shenandoah. You know, <laughs> and say, man, look, you know, what, what was that talk about us maybe slowing down something? Well, you know, but they keep coming with dates. And, well, you know, and, and the thing that I think about more than anything else in the world is, you know, we got uh, we got 10 guys that work for us and uh, got a concession company that works with us. And, uh, man, that sure would be a lot of folks that, that, that went without a job, mm. you know, and a good steady job, too. You know, the one thing that I – I can say that I'm real proud about is that, that that we've kept we've kept them old boys uh, in good financial settings. You know, uh, well, Donnie Allen's been with us shucks at 30 years. Uh, Paul Sanders probably of, of the new batch. I mean, Paul's been with us going on going on 10 years. Um, you know, it's it's uh, and these other guys. I mean, man, they you know we we got a good camp. I mean, we really do, you know, uh, and it's a it's a good place to be in the life of Shenandoah right now. It really is. That's a wonderful thing to hear. Yes, sir, well, it is, bro. When you're not with the band, what do you like to do in your free time? Love on my grand, young. 
Because we were talking beforehand, you got a, a four, a two, and a no. One? We got five of them. We okay. got five grandboys and a grandgirl. And uh, <laughs> son, we were on that country music cruise a couple weeks yeah. ago. And son, when I got home, I, I near about rubbed blisters on them. <laughs> uh, th- them boys, I'm telling you, what's the fact now, now? Our oldest two is uh, they're they're uh, uh, they're 15 and and, and 12, and then. Uh, uh, which now they live up here in Murfreesboro. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, our middle boy Matthew, he married a girl that has a girl, and that that's the only way we could get a grand girl. We had to farm her in, you know. And <laughs> the rest of them, yeah, yeah, that's the only way we can get a boy. I mean, a girl. And then my youngest boy, he's got three boys, which is you know the youngest I was telling you about. Mama, well, me and Mama keep them. You know, I. You know, there's so much stuff around the house that I should have been doing and stuff like that. But, man, I'll go over there, and I'll wind up, and I'll spend a day with them, you know. Are they also in Alabama? They live pretty close yeah, to they, Yeah, they In fact, uh, Matthew lives uh, Matthew lives two miles from us in one direction when you get to town, and Max lives uh, about the same distance in the other direction. So when you when you go down Woodward Avenue, you go to the left if, if you go into – you go to the right if you go into Matthews, and you go to the left if you go into Max's. So – and they, they live in the subdivisions off in there. And so, therefore, that, you know, I mean, we, we get to see them quite a bit. In fact, I, I seen the three youngest ones, uh, you know, this morning. So, uh, before I left to, to come this way. When you get some free time from the band, it sounds like you got plenty waiting on you. Oh, I'm telling you, man, I, man I, I put up a swing set, which almost had me questioning my salvation. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> It, was there a lot of different hardware oh, you had to put in it? Yeah, man, man you know, and, and 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 screw six eight, and you go okay, sixty eight. No, six dash eight, <laughs> and then this washer goes with that, and you get to think, man, what? Well, why don't they just make them all the same? But you know, it's it, they didn't, and man, it, it man, it. I'm telling you, man, I wore a path out to load. <laughs> We, we had to build bunk beds for our two boys. It's the same way, matching all that hardware up with the lumber. Oh, it's aggravating. Oh, it, 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 I tell you, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I, I literally was about to question my salvation. <laughs> this is the one that's got the got the tube slide in it. Yeah. And then the the screws that they sent us were the wrong screws that goes into the – because when you did that, then the, the coupling that goes over the top of it so that you know it won't get water in the tube when it rains mm-hmm. – they they were too big, so then I had to go get screws, and then I had to wind up getting a grinder <laughs> to grind the to grind the uh, modify yeah to, to yeah. grind the bolts down so that the the the, uh, the 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 coupling would go over the joint, you know, just to make it work so that it would go down on there. And man, by the time it was done, I I spent I spent an all day Saturday, and then after we got done done at uh, church, I went over there and finished it dark Sunday evening. So, but by then we got it and them youngest love that thing and I wouldn't give anything to the world for that. Uh, that's part of the experience of being it a sure granddad. Is, it I sure guess. is. That's a wonderful thing. I'm, j- I'm just glad I didn't have to do that one Christmas Eve. <laughs> I had to put a bike together two Christmases ago and it, it you would think something is simpler. It ain't much a frame and two wheels and handlebars but it was the same deal. I had the the hardware that comes with you got to match all that up, and it's tedious and aggravating. But when you, your kids or grandkids see it the next morning, it makes it all worth it. Oh, it does. It, it makes it all worth it. And, of course, man, we, we didn't have it done before they want to swing on it, you know. And I and I wouldn't have given anything in the world for it. And my boy was helping me. He said, Daddy, you reckon it would be all right if he 
I said, son, put him on there. That, 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 that ain't going nowhere, you know. What do they, what's, what's your, uh, what do they call you? Paw-paw. Paw-paw. Yeah, I'm Paw-paw. And then Ma-Ma, of course, is Ma-Ma. Yeah, when, what was your, so your kids, what did they call your dad? Was it the same thing? Yeah, Paw-paw. Okay. That's a lot of nostalgia. You know? That's a special yeah. thing in that. Well, you know, they, they, they'll either call me Paw-paw or Papa, you know. You know, You're a blessed man, Mark. I, I am a blessed man. I, I truly am. I am a blessed man. I am thoroughly blessed by the by the grace of God for his redemptive salvation in my life. And uh, he rewards me every day to, uh, for me to get to be able to take breath and, and for me to have the the young'uns that I've got and to have the grand young. You know, our boys, you know, we got three boys, and, and, and our boys have never, never given us any trouble whatsoever. Man, as bad as I drank— and carried on and that kind of stuff. Glory to God, I guess I made such an example out of all that stuff. My boys didn't want to have anything in the world to do with that mess. And I thank the Lord for it. And if that was enough to, to run them all from it, then by Ned, that was good enough for me. You know, All things work together for good. Yes, sir, absolutely. The Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, this has been great, man. Again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do it. Um, next time you're around, we need, I need to get you up there and just ride around and talk more about orange trees and everything well, else. I, I, in I'll have to get up there to the co-op where, where you normally do your show. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah, we'll make that happen. I'll have to time. come up there and see the surroundings. You know, well, it, pretty farmland. Yeah, man, it is. I, I've been up. I've been up to y'all's place, and it is, man, that is some absolutely beautiful, beautiful country. That is yeah. absolutely beautiful. It is. We want to try to keep it that way. If yeah, we can, I hear you, bro, you know? and I, and I would too. <laughs> well, Marty, thanks again. Can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I appreciate um, you, brother. Thank you. Well, y'all, hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to tune in next week for another brand new one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Grazing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and come pay us a visit at Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op.